Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. We are excited today to continue our series, The Church Should Be. The whole concept behind this series is we want to lay down and detox from our previous experiences of church and what our preferences would want church to be. And we want to say, what does God think church should be? And so we have been checking out Acts 2, 42 through 47, which is kind of the earliest picture and description of the church in its very, it's like its very earliest form. Because kind of what you have here in the book of Acts, and this book in the Bible is a recorded historical account written by the historian Luke, who put together this orderly account based on a bunch of just like eyewitness accounts of people that came together and saw the church form. And what you find, the progression is Acts, it starts off with Jesus telling his disciples, do not leave until I send the Holy Spirit, like basically chill out until I give you the Spirit to empower what you do before, you know, you know, because before that Jesus gave the great commission, but then he said, wait to go and do it because you need help, you need strength, you need power, you need the Holy Spirit. So what you see in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit falls, or excuse me, Acts chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit says, or the, geez, okay, I just preached for a long time. I'm trying to get my brain t- together. Let me get a, a, a deep breath and some water. Jesus, Jesus, help me. I preached way too long in first service. I, preached for, I, I think I preached for like, for like one hour, and that was way too long. So y'all pray for, for me. I promise I'm not going to be, promise that I'm not, that I'm not going to be one hour here. Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Spirit, right? So you, so the thing is, right, the disciples waiting. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. The disciples, they are currently at this kind of like Jewish Pente- uh, Pentecostal party thing where you got a bunch of people coming from, from different countries. They speak different languages. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. All of these people see it, and basically these people are, are like... Um, why are these people speaking in different tongues, proclaiming the word of God in the, in the language that they don't normally speak? So what you've got is you've got these Christians that don't speak these languages now speaking these different languages that these people can actually hear and understand. And they're saying they're speaking the words of, of God, and these people are starting to repent of their sins and they're starting to follow Jesus. And then it says Peter gets up in front of all of these thousands of people and starts proclaiming and preaching the, the, the word of God. And Luke, and Luke shares with us that over 3,000 people started to follow Jesus on that day and got baptized. And it was at that moment the church was born. And right after all of that stuff happened in Acts 2.42 through 47... You actually see Luke describing what the church was like in its very earliest form. And the subject heading in my Bible says, the believers form a community. 
So they're trying to put together, we've got all these people that are now followers of Jesus. What the heck do we do? We do? And they're trying to put together the church. And so we have been saying in order to move forward as, as the church, we might need to look back. And instead of injecting our preferences and instead of injecting the experiences we've had in church, maybe we need to detox from that and get into God's word and say, what was the church and what should the church be? And so I've challenged you to do two things this month. Number one, memorize Acts 2.42 through 47. And secondly, read Acts this whole month of May. And it's been incredible having people come up to me at the gym. I've been having people texting me, people that have never read the Bible before. They're like, I'm reading this book of Acts and I don't know what I'm reading. Like, that's okay. Like, just keep on doing it. Like, it's okay. Have it, have it, have it, right? But at the same time, I've got, I've got people texting me saying, I've read the Bible for years, and I'm starting to see things in this book that I never saw. You know, and that's the way that God's word is. If you've never read, I challenge you, get into it, read it. If you have read it, I know that as you read, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will, will give you new things as you dive into it. So I've challenged you to do these two things. Why? So instead of saying, this is what I want the church to be, this is what I've experienced in church, we can go back to the earliest form of of church and see what was the church and it will give us new appetites and vision to say what the church can be but this but but the scripture text we're focusing on is acts 2 42 through 47 which we're gonna which we are going to read together right now this is what it says it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the lord's supper and to prayer a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. It says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. One other translation says this, they were all together and had everything in common, right? It says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord had added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Like I said, the New International Version actually says, says this about verse 45, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. The first week I talked about how the church should be devoted. It says they devoted themselves. And then it says that many miraculous signs and wonders were done. There, there, there was a supernatural element to the church. So we have said the church should be devoted, the church should be supernatural. But today I want to talk to you about how the church should be unified. Church should be unified. Now, I don't know about you, but pressure exposes what is there, right? So that's why I tell people, you get married, it will expose you. I tell fellas, you think you know this woman. I tell ladies, you think you know this man. But when there is pressure, relational, financial, Vocational, churin. <laughs> when you add pressure to something, it exposes and reveals normally what is there. That, that is why many of, like, whenever you see leaders that, that struggle and that possibly blow, blow up, that is normally because of pressure, and the pressure exposes their true character. Right? But that doesn't just happen leadership-wise. That happens with us many times. Where when you feel the weight in front, like I thought I knew what ministry pressure was as a youth pastor. Not knocking youth pastors. 
But I laugh at that now because I had no idea the weight, the spiritual weight, the practical weight of, of having the God-ordained honor of leading a church. And honestly, it, in so many ways, and our church is coming up on being five years old, it was, it was exposing. It, 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 it exposed a lot, but I digress. But here's, here's the thing. Because of the pressure that I'll use this COVID caused, the pressure, I believe, exposed what was at the root of the church, and at the root of the church was a spirit of disunity. Where, and I mean, honestly, the pressure of COVID, should you get the vaccine, should you not? If you do get it, you're being a loving neighbor, or if you do get it, you're taking the mark of the beast. You wear the mask, you're just wearing a face cloth for nothing. You're just submitting to a government. You wear the mask, you're actually loving people. Like, do y'all see what I'm saying? And then you throw that in with the 2020 election. Then you throw that in with George Floyd. And then you got a big pot of pressure where it exposed the church for what it was. That many of them, there was, there was not a lot of unity. There was a lot of division. And being a diverse church, we felt this like crazy. I felt like the whole 20, like I felt like COVID was like dog years. Like I know our church is like five, but like three of our, like almost like half of our church has been in a pandemic. And so I'm like, really our church is like 17 years old because that's how I feel. When people are like, how long has church been around? About five feels like seven, 17. Just because of the weight and the pressure where there were times where I felt like I am in the middle and I've got one group of people like, that I'm trying to encourage them, can, please don't hate. Like, like I, I, you have a right to be angry. I understand. Would you just not hate? And then I got a group of people over here like, would you just shut up and listen? And I feel like Stretch Armstrong, like I'm being pulled apart while I'm trying to pull together. And people are just, it just feels like they're fractured, they're disunified. And really, I believe that what, what we have seen exposed in the church in the whatever many years that COVID has been going on is that we weren't as unified as we thought. Which is absolutely crazy because when you go back to the beginning, it says they were together and had everything in common. Now, the crazy thing about that statement is that's how it started, but that's not how the trajectory went. Have you, have you, guys, ever, ever, have you guys ever seen those Facebook memes where it's like how it started and how it's going. Have you guys seen those? Like if you were to do the church, like how it started, we're all around the table singing kumbaya. As it goes on, if you read Acts, you will hear specific things of where the church, uh, uh, oh my God, of where the church, thank God no one's sitting there. That would have been terrible. Um, but how, like, Here's the thing, the trajectory went from everything's in common, all is unified, into being Acts chapter 6. There's discrimination during the food distribution. Yeah, Jews and Greeks, and the Greeks are like, you're favoring the Jews. Acts chapter 15, there's this big disagreement over, over what marks a Christian, because you had these Jewish Christians that came from the Jewish 
tradition, and they wanted to say, it's not just about trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross and his subsequent resurrection for your salvation. It's that and it's circumcision. It's that and it's what you actually eat. It's that and they, they were trying to do Jesus and. So the church had to come together because it was a sharp disagreement. Acts chapter 15 as well. Paul and Barnabas, who are like apostles, it actually says their disagreement was so sharp. And their disagreement was over one particular person. His name was John Mark. And John Mark was with Paul on his first missionary journey. And Mark abandoned them. So do you know what Paul said? This brother, he ain't coming with me. But Paul and Barnabas, they, they were going to actually travel. And Barnabas was like, well, I want to take John Mark. He's got potential. <laughs> and Paul was like, I know his potential. He abandoned us. And Barnabas, though, that, that, like, that name, Barnabas, actually means son of encouragement. So can't you hear Barnabas like, just give him a chance, man. That was the first time. He's got potential. And Paul's like, I know his potential. No. And it says their disagreement was so sharp they split. The great schism of, 10, of, of 1054, where the church literally split into the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. There was this great schism in 1054 that led to the crusades of, of, of just Christians splitting, splitting up, looking back over many secondary, unimportant things that they took to, to be doctrine and word of God that was just a lot of personal preference and experience but it led the church here's the thing throughout history there has been a trajectory towards division in the church and really when I think about the movement of God of what he what I feel like he specifically wants to do at Lifehouse is he of and and really not just at Lifehouse but what the church should be is it should be a place where we are unified because the absolutely crazy thing is this is one of the things that Jesus prayed for like like the Apostle John, he actually recorded some prayers that Jesus prayed in his gospel. He did communion with his disciples, and then as Jesus, like it was kind of one of his final speeches with his disciples before he went towards Passion Week, the Apostle John recorded some prayers that, that Jesus prayed, and, and it's in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, that this is what it says. That, like this is Jesus, so just, just remind you, this is Jesus praying. These words are in red. That is not what Jesus prayed. <laughs> there we go. That's what Jesus prayed. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. He's, he said this, I'm not praying only for these disciples, so he's talking about his 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So do you know who, who he's praying for? He says, I pray that they will all be just as you and I are one. And so he's talking to his father. He's like, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He said, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect what? Unity. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So you can hear, it's like Jesus is saying, one of the ways that people even know this Jesus thing isn't a, a load of stuff is by the fact that y'all will be unified. Could there be a direct correlation between the influence we have and the unity we don't have? 1 Corinthians 10. So I, what I love, and, and this is encouraging to me, is because Paul would go into different cities and plant churches, 
And then he would, you know, he would go in, cause a whole ruckus, preach the gospel. People would get saved. He'd set up elders. He would set up a church, and then he'd go and do it somewhere else. But then he would hear rumors about what was going on at these previous churches he planted. So he would write letters to them to help them work through some things that he heard was going on. And these eventually became scripture. And one of the things that Paul heard was happening in the church he planted in the city of Corinth is there was disunity going on. And I'm like, well, that's good. Even in the churches Paul planted, there was some disunity. Because here, here's, the, here's the thing. It don't matter where you go. If there's people, what you going to have? Problems. Problems. You're going to have people, right? And Paul experienced the same thing. And what he heard was going on is some people were being divided. So Paul said, I need to write and address this and, and give my thoughts on it. So he wrote... At the beginning of his letter, his first letter to the church in Corinth, this is what he said. He said, I, I appeal. And that word, appeal, in the Greek, essentially means beg. It's like, I beg you. Like, beg. I beg to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in what? Harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose, for some memory, and then he calls them out. Okay, Chloe's household. <laughs> For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And then Paul gets a little snippy. He says, has Christ been divided into factions? Was I Paul crucified for you? Were, were, were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? He's like, of course not. Because what he's saying is you are dividing yourself by secondary things instead of seeing yourself by what you are united by. Right? So he's trying to, like, he's, he's begging them, he's pleading them to see what ultimately matters. It's not who baptized you. It's not who teaches the best. It, it, no, it's like, Paul didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Jesus did. So you need, you need to be united to him, and all of us come in to be united together. Ephesians 4. So then he's got a problem in another church. Being separate. Divisions going on. In the church he planted in, in Ephesus. This is what he writes in chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your what? I love how he said making allowance. Basically, he's saying you need to have some margin in your life for people's faults. In other words, expect it. Some of you got too high of expectations for people. Your margin for, for kind of like for people messing up is like this. So when anyone crosses that, toxic. Toxic energy, ener toxic energy man. No one's going to hold me back. When really, the, the issue might be your allowance. The issue might be you need to start making some margin for some people's faults because God makes a lot of margin for your stuff. He ain't like this. It says how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ, a love that surpasses knowledge. So make allowances for people's faults because of your love. But then he's, he says this, make every effort. Everyone say make every effort. Make every effort. Every in the Greek means every. Effort to keep yourselves united. Everyone say united. 
united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And then he says this, for, for there is what? One body. What is, what is he saying? Like the church. There's one body, the church. And one, just as you have been called to glorious hope for the future. Do you all hear Paul's heart? Do you all hear Jesus' heart? He prayed for it. So here, here's the thing, right? It says make every effort. So here's the question that I want to talk about and, and, and kind of contextualize to our LifeHouse body. How do we make every effort to have unity at LifeHouse and with other churches in Christian? And you know what? By doing this, really what I'm saying is how can we answer the prayer of Jesus? But also I too think it's important to contextualize because our challenges are going to be different than somebody else's challenges. But I think there are things that can be said to all people, all places, all times that really relate from Scripture. And that's what we're going to focus on, but at the same time, contextualize it to our specific body here. The first one is this. How do we make every effort? This is going to sound, ele- this is going to sound elementary, but the first thing is this. Know God. And I'm not talking about some God as this mysterious being. The God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God, and that word Trinity simply means three in one, one in three. Essentially saying that the God is just not one. He, he has three individual people and beings that, that make up one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you've probably heard of all of those mentioned if you've been in church. I think sometimes talking about the Trinity can kind of feel like talking about Bitcoin. Really, what is it? <laughs> you know, Bitcoin, NFTs, like all this blockchain, like all of this like different language for different stuff. And for some people can just have a hard time wrapping their hands around like what the, what is the Trinity? And I don't have a whole 30 minutes to walk you through the, the Trinity. But what I will say is that the Trinity is a picture of who God is. And the truth is this, is that God is one yet multiple, yet those multiple make up one. You hear even Jesus praying it, God, you are in me, and I am in you, and we are one. So here's the thing, right? All right, so, so hold on. I got a little bit uh, ahead of myself. The, the more you know God, the more you will, you should desire and crave and live for unity. Why? Because we strive for unity because God is unity. Throw up that next slide slide there so so here's the thing right god he's three in, in one where do we get this from scripture deuteronomy 6 4 when it says hear o hear o israel the lord our god is one that word there one is the hebrew word ikad which means multiple in one you go back to when god created marriage genesis chapter 2 it said that they that the two shall become one that one was the hebrew word ikad multiple meaning many right or many meaning m- Many in one. Jesus, help me. All right. All right. See, Deuteronomy 6, 6, 4. But, but then you go to Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus was giving the great commission. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of who? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, include the Godhead whenever you baptize. Ephesians 4, 5, we just read, there is one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. The heart is one. And you can see this in God himself. There is unity in God himself. Yet at the same time, the first relationship that God created was marriage to becoming one. Because he wanted the first human relationship that he created to mirror himself. Do you see that? So he said, 
Adam and Eve, y'all are different. You are, you, you are diverse. You're equal in value and worth. You are distinct. Yet at the same time, you're going to come together and take those uniqueness and those um, and take that diversity, yet, yet, yet take, your, take who you are, put it together, and you're better together as operating as one. Why? Because that's how God is. Right? So you've got God, he's three and one. Marriage is two and one. And then church is a body that acts as one. You can see Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. What Paul writes is that, the, is that honestly, the church is a bunch of, lot of people that make up one body that make up Christ's body. So we are all a part of one body, though we are distinct, unique, diverse, different gifts, different strengths, different weaknesses, but we all come together to be God's desire, which is what? One. Unify. Are y'all seeing, are, are y'all seeing this? This is the, theolo- the theological part, that if we don't understand this, we won't understand God's heart for unity. Because if we don't understand him, we won't understand his heart for it. But God wants it because it's who God is. He wants us to be unified. Okay? So that was the theological. Let me get into the practical. How do we actually work this out into, like, the nitty-gritty of church community? The first thought is this. We have to view each other by what can't be taken from us. Let me ask you this. How do you filter people? You might not realize it, but you have filters for how you view people. And I've seen some of y'all use filters on your Instagram. <laughs> I've seen y'all use filters on these pictures you take. Why? Because they make you want to change the way people see you. Because some of y'all, and, and, and I'm the same, I'm white as this light. <laughs> but when I take pictures and I post them, I want to be a little more tan. <laughs> and so... To do that before I go to the beach, I, I need to put a filter on. <laughs> right? But, but it's, it's crazy. This is what we do with how we see people. We can put filters on that affect, and here's the thing. These filters can be ones we've put or what we've been conditioned to put. It's not just what you receive. It's also what, you know, it's, it's, it's not just what is ingrained, it could also be something that is handed down to you and discipled into you by the culture. So we have a culture that is trying to get you and disciple you into seeing people through what divides us. Well, you're black, you're white. You're Republican, you're Democrat. You're this socioeconomic class, you're this socioeconomic class. It's all, about, it's, all, it's all about separation. It's all about dividing. It's all about let's talk about and put at the forefront of all of the news channels, all the social media, and let's focus on all the stuff that divides us, and let's see how that goes. How's it going? Not that good. But that, that is why, as a Christ follower, the filters for how we see people are changed. The first filter that, that we have to that, that we see anyone through is every human being, whether they're a Christ follower, Jesus follower, or not, they are made in the image of God. Every human being is stamped with the divine image of God. And because of that, we are called to then give them 
respect, not agreement. Honor them, not agreement. We are called to treat them a certain way, see them through the eyes of God because they are made in the very image of God. And what you see is even James, when he was writing his, his book of the Bible to 12 churches scattered, one of the things he told them is, you go and you worship Jesus in a worship service with your lips, leave that worship service, and use these same lips you use to worship Jesus and curse people whom I love who are made in my image. He says, this should not be. And that's what it exactly says. It says, why do you, in one sentence, praise God, the other sentence, you curse people who have been made in God's likeness. What James is saying there is you, when you curse somebody with your mouth, when you label somebody beyond or with a secondary label, instead of seeing them made in the very image of God, you just don't curse them. You curse the creator that made them. And that's what I don't think we understand, is that when you have people you disagree with for valid reasons, you don't attack the person, attack the issue. Have the emotional maturity to separate what they believe and who they are. Because what they believe could be jacked up and messed up, I agree, but who they are, image of God. And therefore, they are worthy of our respect and to be honored, not because they're right or because we want to, but because of their image of God, people. Secondly, though, it's not just that. It's, it's, it's child of God. Like, for those that are Jesus followers, it's crazy how we will even take Christians, and this is what the COVID thing did. It's like you've got one, you should wear your mask. Masks are just submitting to the government. And they're just like throwing haymakers at each other. Well, you and you and you, and they're, and they're attacking the person instead of speaking to the issue. So you've got Christians, like, throwing hand grenades and doing it publicly on Facebook. And it's just like, y'all, like, our filter has got to change. I love what John, what John Tyson says. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, wrote the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.16, meaning we no longer filter people based on cultural categories or personal preferences. We have a lens of divine value. Everyone say divine value. That sees every person as Christ does. Jesus had a filter of honor for all he encountered. Regardless of the contempt their culture showed them, he saw differently. He didn't see tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, outcasts, or Samaritans. He saw people crowned with glory, worthy of welcome and recognition into the community of God. Isn't that powerful? What filter do you see people through? If we're going to strive to have unity in the spirit, our filters have got to change, people. So the second thought is that we celebrate, embrace, and strive for diversity. We celebrate, embrace, and strive for diversity. Why is this important? Here's the thing. If you don't like or prefer diversity, why would you want to go to heaven? Flat out. If you aren't striving for it to have a diverse home, a diverse church, a diverse, like, you don't hate heaven. Because here's the thing. One of the things Jesus prayed is, is that as we, like, we're called to bring heaven to earth. And one of the ways, we, what heaven is going to be the most diverse place we've ever been to. One of, one of the things that the apostle John in the, in the, revelation he saw of the very end times that he wrote a book called revelations which christians have been divided about for thousands of years he said this he said after this i saw a vast crowd 
too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. I want to note every nation, tribe, people, and language. Uh-huh. So do you know what he's saying? Everybody. Like, no one, no nation, tribe. So why, why would we want to do the opposite? This is the picture of heaven. So if, if, if we aren't striving to have heaven on earth here, why would we want to go to heaven up there? Right? We have to make sure we're trying to bring heaven and not just our preferences here. Right? Here's, here's, here's the thing, though. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Right? Unity does not mean, okay, we all look the same, we talk the same, we vote the same, we all do the same. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity means we have unity in diversity. And that we celebrate it. And that we actually welcome it. And if somebody is different than us in maybe whatever category you want to differentiate them, instead of saying, uh, we say, huh. Like, it's not, see, because here's the thing. We have a lot of concepts with no context. Some of you have never talked to, to the very people you judge. Never sat down and said, hey, can you just, can you just tell me your story? Because you only read about them, whoever them are. And really, if we're going to form a unified church, we just don't need to have distance because distance creates dis distortion. Typically, the closer you get, the more see people are nuanced. People have experiences. People have wounds and hurts. I mean, there is so much about people, but if we keep our distance and just say, instead of saying, hey, let me, then we will start to see the diversity we have. And instead of pushing, like, well, we have to work through it. And here's the thing. Jesus modeled this. And I love Jesus, obviously. But he's saying, Jesus modeled this, like what I am saying, because he called a Roman tax collector and a Jewish zealot to follow him. If Jesus wanted everyone to think like him, he would have called fishermen that were all, you know, Jewish, just Jewish fishermen to be his boys, to be his 12. And they would have all politically thought, thought the same way, practically thought the same way. But Jesus knew his movement wasn't just for a certain kind of person. It was for everybody. So even in the 12, Jesus called and started with, it modeled this. A Roman tax collector, this dude scammed people. Like he could go and he could basically say, your taxes are going to be this. You had him, like someone who worked for the Roman government, and then you had somebody that was a Jewish zealot, basically a Jewish nationalist, somebody that wanted to murder Roman employees. And Jesus says, Come and follow me. Yeah. And Jewish fishermen. That this Roman tax collector prob, prob, probably screwed over. You know what Jesus was doing? He said, y'all are always going to have a lot of stuff to divide over. But let me tell y'all what's going to unite all of y'all. It's going to be me and, and my mission and what I'm calling you guys to. Do y'all see this? Like, do y'all feel the weight of this? And I mean, Jesus, like, I feel like we miss it because we're not in that, that culture. That would be like a far right January or January 6th guy 
Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, with the f- most far left person, and Jesus is, is like, hey, let's chat. Can you imagine their campfires? Con- conversations? <laughs> Can you imagine how long it took for them to heat up to, to each other? But y'all, this is what Jesus does. He says, instead of defining ourselves by what we're not, let's focus on who I am. And let's unite around that. We have to put relationships above secondary issues. It's crazy how Christians, we, we, we will divide over what we believe about the Holy Spirit. We're divided about homeschooling. If you don't homeschool your kids, you're putting them in the devil's hands in public school. You know, I mean, I've heard people say, say that. You got people that's the, you know, that say women should preach. Some people say women shouldn't preach. Churches have divided over, over that. You have people that believe, you know, um, you know, you shouldn't sing a certain style of worship music. You know, it's like, it's just like all of this stuff that Christians for centuries have been fighting over and, and that really at the end of the day are not salvation issues. The churches, I mean, do you know how many churches interpret this book a different way? It happened then, it will happen, it, it will, it will happen now. And instead of, of, of like, of dividing over these things, we have to, because here's the thing, let me tell you what Paul says here in Romans 14, 1 through 3. He says this, accept other, other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything, another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Do you remember Alan Iverson when he talked about practice? Practice. Like, someone's doing it really good. I'm not sure who it, who it is. But practice, right? You got Iverson, right? Iverson is about to, you know, he's in the finals and they're getting on him because he didn't show up for practice one day. And, not, and you've got him in this press conference and he's like, practice? We talk about practice? I'm in the finals. I'm one of the best players ever. And we talk about practice. And what he was saying was, you're missing the forest for the trees. Like, you're, you're, you're missing what is grand for what is minute. You're talking about, like, me missing a practice when he's, when he's like, I've just went out there and killed myself, and I need to take this practice time and ice my body. Because I've been out there banging with these big dudes that are trying to kill me every time I'm driving, every time I'm driving into the lane. And he's like, you're missing it. But if we're not careful, we will have a proclivity to, to do the same. The truth is, every, I would say every church, most churches, you, you go to will have a secondary issue you won't uh, agree with. We've had people leave our church because of the people we allow to be a part of our church. I always know. When someone says, can we go to, you know, can we go to coffee, Pastor John? I'm like, here we go. No one ever takes me to coffee for something good. <laughs> no one ever says, hey, John, can we just go get some coffee? I want to hear how you're doing. It's always like, oh, Lord, here we go. We're talking about something, right? And, and, you know, and, and then we've had people leave our church because we have, we let women preach. We've, we've had some, like, like it's, it, we, we've had people leave our church for crazy stuff. And I mean, just, you know, like, I preach too long, which is probably true. And, and then the, the worship style is, isn't just what they wanted, right? And it's, it's, it's like, at the end of the day, these are secondary things that I, don't, I think if, you don't almost understand what is an, and here is this next point, what is an open-handed issue and what's a close-handed issue. You'll be going from church to church trying to find a perfect one. When you, when you go to a church, there's people, which means they'll never be perfect. 
no matter what church you go to. So you almost have to stay instead of how can I find the perfect church that fits every single preference that I have. And you say, maybe you need to go to a church that doesn't fit your preferences so you can grow. That'll maybe get you outside of your box because you won't grow in comfort. Open-ended issues are things that are not salvation. But, but people can hold opinions and views on. Close-handed issues are things that we as Christians believe that make us Christians. So here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we don't believe that, even Paul said Christianity is stupid. That's a non-negotiable at Lifehouse. The, we believe the Bible is God's word. That it is inspired. Even Jesus quoted the Old, even Jesus quoted the Old Testament. We believe the Holy Spirit wrote this book. It's inerrant, it's inspired, and we are called to, we, we can never say God is not speaking to us because we have this book. He's been speaking through, gen, through generations about his faithfulness, his goodness, his character, who he is, what is right and what is wrong, where we began and where we'll end up. We believe that this is God's word. That is a non-negotiable for us. We believe that God is a, is a trinity. That's a non-negotiable for us. We believe that ultimately one day, Everyone will stand before God and give an account for their life, right? So there are things that we hold in the closed-handed that we're like, this is, it, this is what it is. But then there are some things that we're, we can discuss and debate, but we're not going to divide over. If you want to be at our church and you believe infant baptism, okay. We're not going to baptize them, but you can, right? We got people at our church. They don't want women. For, okay, well, we believe that, you know, that uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into a belief that God has gifted women to teach and, and, and preach in the same way they do in the home they can do in the church. You know, like, like there are some things we can discuss and debate, but we should not divide over. But you're going to have a proclivity. Just let me say, th say that. And it's going to be one of two things, legalism or liberalism. And liberalism is not a political tone. It is basically saying you will be a little more, uh, it's not that important. When it should be. Legalism is like, that's important, when it's really not. You see what I'm saying? So kind of whenever you play these out, legalism is Jesus plus something that's open-handed equals salvation. Liberalism is Jesus, sub when you take out a close-handed issue, equals salvation. So here's the thing. We believe Jesus was God. He was not some good pithy teacher that said good par parables and taught things. He was the son of God. That's a non negotiable so if you believe jesus is just a good man who taught some good principles that's fine but we are going to fight for who jesus is he's lord and savior and king he came incarnate died on the cross rose from the dead defeated satan's sin and death that is close-handed so so are y'all seeing you will have a proclivity some of y'all are like i can't believe some people drink alcohol bible says they shouldn't I don't know what Bible you're reading. That might be your religious back, background that told you that. But you actually haven't studied the scriptures for yourself. But some of y'all be like, yeah, I can drink. Let's go. And in your attempt to be, to be liberal, you actually drink way too much. And you can't actually say no, though you say you can. You actually use it to get the, field, you know, the, the week off off of you. So you're actually unhealthily using it even though you're not getting drunk. But some of you will, will be like, you should never drink. Are y'all seeing, seeing this? We can have a proclivity. What do we got to do with these things? 
we realize it and we give it up and we say we have called we're called to be un united let's not make what is open-handed close-handed let's not take what is close-handed and make it open-handed got it last last thing you can come up greg give it up for uh greg greg here he is single just saying he's single ready to mingle christian woman 25 to 30 just throwing it out there right right greg 30 on the high side. Okay, well, 28. 28. 28 good? Okay, 28. Perfect. <laughs> um, last, yeah, that's an open-ended issue, right? That's just, I can't believe the pastor's trying to, trying to set up a dating service for his worship team. No, I'm just, I'm not. It has worked twice, though. I will say, say that. <laughs> lastly, how do we stay unified? Number one, or, or excuse me, lastly, we have a united mission and purpose. The Great Commission. You know why churches argue about dumb stuff? Because we don't see what we're called to. I feel like the more we put sideways focus into stuff that doesn't, that doesn't matter, it will take us away from what we're ultimately called to do. And y'all, we have... Here's the thing, and we have limited energy and time and resources as people in the church. And whenever we take what the Lord has given us and we use it for stuff that doesn't matter, it takes away from stuff that does. And so you have churches fighting over worship styles and all of these things that they take when it's, it's, it's like, is the question, are we fulfilling the Great Commission? That's why one of the core values of our church is it's not about us. The mission will trump the preference every single time. Because we don't have time, church. We can discuss and debate. And you know what? If, if, you know, that's why I say if, there's, if Lifehouse isn't your flavor, we totally get it. There's lots of churches in this area that are great churches. Go. Like, but, but at the same time, be careful you're not choosing a preference over what's comfortable. Right? But ultimately, you're, you're, you're going to have to be unified. Why? Because it's the heart of Jesus to be unified. And really, here's the thing. We have the opportunity to answer the prayer of Jesus. So here is my heart. Let's be unified, church. Let's realize our proclivity towards legalism and liberalism. Let's strive for, for unity and diversity because we serve a united yet diverse God. Let's strive to put relationships above secondary things. Even if we talk and discuss about secondary things. Let's make sure we're making allowances for each other. Do y'all see how nuanced and hard this is? But it's a prayer that Jesus prayed, and I believe if Jesus prayed it, it can happen. And we might not be able to make it happen out there, but we can control what happens in here. We can't control the whole church, but we can control our church. So my heart is that we would be, the church should be unified. Why? God's unified. Paul begged for it. But it's possible as we make every effort to keep the unity in the spirit. Would you stand up with me, church? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, 
you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.